Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and the upcoming comic Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of the second shift for... <laughs> I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of the second shift in Wanderers of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. I almost did that out of order. I'm, I'm the artist of the Accidental Aliens. I thought I thought you were gonna say creator and artist of the second shift for dad ass. Mm. That's what it sounded like you were going. Get money. So, yeah, exactly. So let's let's get formalities out of the way. What are you drinking? Okay, so I visited some friends on New Year's Eve. Um, I didn't stay until midnight. I wanted to be with my girlfriend at midnight. She wasn't feeling well, but they they're like overstocked on beer like we've talked about a couple of times on this pod i have some friends that are part of the harland uh brewing special club and so my buddy's wife is pregnant and they are both beer drinkers so obviously she's not partaking for nine months and they have an overstock they're like hey before you leave take a four pack and uh so we went in the fridge just to get me another beer uh, before i left i had i had uh, one and a half so i was being very responsible and um He's like, here, take this four-pack. And it was a four-pack of Harland, and I shot a picture to you. And there was four premium Harland beers that he gave me. And uh, the one I decided to bust out today is uh, Buko Pandan Milkshake IPA. And that was the one that caught my eye in your photo. Yeah. That was the one that caught my eye in your photo. This is the one he wanted me to drink there. But I only knew I was going to only drink half, and I let him know so. And I didn't want to burn half of a can that I wasn't going to get get a take, you know what I mean? So I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm going to hold on to this one. And I switched out with one of the sours because he gave me like uh, three sours and uh, something else and then this milkshake IPA. So I swapped out one of the sours. So the Buco Pandan, is that's the one that I'm rocking today. And I am very excited. It's a, a IPA, a milkshake IPA, like I said, 7% alcohol. Okay. Did you have any yet? Not yet. I'm going to bust it open. What are you drinking? Make it work. Make it work. Well, let's go with you first. Oh, wow. It kind of has a green, like some of it splashed up onto the top of the can. It has a green look to it. Interesting. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, it smells good. Oh, yeah. Daddy-like. That's nice okay. and smooth. It has a interesting, that's an interesting flavor. It has a, okay, so the ingredients are pandan, coconut, and lactose. And Okay. It definitely tastes like those things. So what's pandan? I have no clue, but I think that. <laughs> but I but I think that this is what it You're tastes like. You're like, God damn it, Keith. Yeah, <laughs> it tastes exactly like pandan. That's the crazy thing. <laughs> so this word pandan, picture picture that in your mind, and now picture that flavor. That's what this tastes like. <laughs> okay. Well, unfortunately, I picture panda, so it makes me think that it's tasting like a panda. But I've never eaten panda, so I don't really have a frame of reference. I've eaten Panda Express. Mm. Who hasn't? It's delicious. Yeah, I mean, of course. Because <laughs> we, we're, we're people who have sense. Of course we eat that. All right. Uh, so for me, uh, I'm, I'm going hard in the paint. As you're aware, as listeners are aware, last week, because of our schedules, I drank Diet Coke. And I believe the week before, we, we didn't drink because we had just conventioned and we had just come down from a midday alcohol buzz. So I am breaking that streak by going hard in the paint. This is something called Barrel Aged Ink. Oh, wow. It is an imperial stout aged in bourbon barrels. 
um, astute listeners will will brace themselves for the ABV that I'm about to drop, which is 13.2. Oh, shit. So let's go. Let's fucking go. It's going to be a crazy podcast. I know. And and even worse, like we, we kind of we're setting ourselves up to talk about things that require some degree of intellectual <laughs> examination, which is tough. So, uh, so yeah, man, we're going to, this one might go downhill fast, but, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll all, we'll all find out together. Won't we? It's quite good. I would not say it's my favorite verbal verbal. Yeah. Look, look, I haven't drank it yet. Okay, guys. I've had like two sips. Um, I, that's no excuse. It's not my, my favorite. It wouldn't be a top five bourbon barrel aged, um, stout for me, but it is good. Oh, you, is good. so you've had and, this uh, one before. I have never had it before. In fact, I got this a year ago and I cellared it because, hey, it's it's winter. I I want to go through all these beers that I have cellared for a year. And um, actually, there was this really wild like gunk on top of it that I kind of siphoned off. Um, I was a little afraid. I felt like horror movies kind of start like that, and I didn't want to be in a horror movie. So I actually skimmed it off with a spoon just in case it was some kind of alien being. I've had that same thing, not not that specific thing, but where you find something in your beer and you're like, is this supposed to be here? So uh, there's a local brewing down here, Novo, and Mm. my niece's old boyfriend used to work there. And one of the benefits was you got some beer, like they would hook you up with beer. And so he would bring it home all the time, and at the bottom of the can, there would be, like, um, pulp, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, is this shit supposed to be in here? Like, I feel like it's not supposed to be. Like, there's always yeah. an overabundance, uh, overabundance at the bottom of the can. So, um, yeah. yeah, that always made me question them to the point where we kind of stopped drinking them. Like, he kept bringing them home, and we we're just like, yeah, we're good. We're good on these. Yeah. it just kept yeah. happening, so I don't know. Yeah, I hear, actually, I had a similar experience um so uh, I I may not have mentioned this much, but I lived in Philadelphia. I mean, I'm a, I'm a 76ers fan, so most people who are that type of fan are from the city. They don't they don't have a lot of casual fans outside of the Philly area. But I uh, I lived in Philly for 16 years, and I always had roots there. Before that, I had family there the whole time. So I also had Philadelphia Eagles season tickets. And um, in the first day, so they opened a new stadium in 2003. And uh, for the first game, they had a treat for the fans, which was they had the beer at the stadium was Budweiser that they had brewed that day. Right. So they had this whole big logistics thing about the Budweiser being brewed that day. And guess what happened? There was sediment in the bottom of it. And it was really, really weird. Oh, you know. I, hey, I guess that happens. Sediment you can expect with some beers that aren't Budweiser, but it, it was very strange to see it from Budweiser. But I guess when you brew it that morning and do whatever, you you, you only have so much time. It was good. I mean, it was fresh. You okay. know, it was pretty nice, but it was just weird to see sediment in the bottom of a damn Budweiser, you know? Oh, that makes sense then. Well, that that's why, because he was one of the brewers of, of the beer. So that makes sense why okay. I had it at the bottom of the cans. So Pondon is actually, uh, it's a plant. Tropical plant uh, in the Pandanus gi- uh, genus. I almost said genus, <laughs> which is commonly known <laughs> as pandan. Uh, it has a fragrant, a, f- a freight, a fragrant, a fragrant flavor, a fragrant <laughs> succulent succotash. It has a fragrant leaf. Uh, it has fragrant leaves which are used widely for flavoring in cuisines of South Asia and Southeast Asia. Okay. Well, that's that's the flavor that I was trying to convey. I was like, it almost tastes like, 
uh, uh, Asia flavors. That was, that, was, that was exactly what you were going to say. Yeah, next, yeah. Right. This like that, whole that thing. paragraph. Exactly. That's what it <laughs> reminded me of. No, I was gonna, actually going to say it tastes like veggie like. It would kind of have like okay. a veggie flavor, a veggie smell. Like, to like it. the veggies that are in my Chinese dishes kind of thing? Like, no, like bamboo more like... shoots and shit? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Kind of maybe bamboo okay. shooty. But also, mm. um, if you had like maybe a wheatgrass shot or something like that, something similar. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Rock on. Well, it sounds pretty interesting. It sounds like a, it sounds like a, a, a like a, a cleanse and a beer, which is pretty amazing. Right. That's what you want. Great shit. That's what I mean. I yeah. If I can knock both of those out in one shot, why wouldn't I? Um, all right. So let's get to it, man. Uh, I'm hosting, which means you get to go first and talk about what you did this week. I would say the biggest thing that I did this week it is the back matter for issue twelve. So. Issue 10 is in the can. It's completely done. I got all of the backers that needed to respond to the surveys in order for me to get their names in the back of the book. That was a $25 level or higher. And so, in, and that even included anyone, like let's say they did the $16 level, which was the two new books and then the ash can. And then they added a couple of things on and went past 25. I put your name in the back of the book. That's, that's hmm. you know, like how I want to roll with it. Um, yeah. So issue 10 is in the can. I got the lettering back from Tristan. And it was only four pieces, uh, four sound effects images that I needed from him. Since he does the sound effect imaging and I do the standard lettering. And uh, he knocked issue 10 out of the park. And that went pretty fast. And so I just popped, or those were already popped in. And I had to do one adjustment, but it was kind of like the orientation of the lettering. Like he kind of had it a little a little right up but i kind of wanted a little sideways it had a bend to it and i just kind of changed the positioning but the sound effects itself was was really good and so i put that thing to bed and uh issue 12 there was some uh lettering issues uh sound effects issues so he sent over a bunch of stuff a couple looked pretty good but a couple i think my vision of what it looked like was way different so i kind of sent him adjustments um to the point where i just did it myself and I think that's going to change the way I do certain things. Uh, it, I want to go through the book. And after I do the flatting, I really want to take, take a second and think about the sound effects that, you know, Ed's giving over to me. It's like, okay, can I visualize what this looks like? And I don't know if I've done that enough. Like, I've done it a little bit. But usually when I send it over to Tristan, I'm not thinking about it. I'm like, here's the sound effects. Tristan will make it work. And a couple of the things just didn't work for me at all. And I was just like, but what am I seeing in my head? And uh, what I'll try to do is if I do have an idea, I'll, I'll throw it his way. Or when he sends me something back, I'll go, okay, that almost looks right, but what would make it look better? And one of the things that I found that I prefer is sound effects behind the art in the background with kind of like a little bit, a little bit of transparency to it. So it's mm -hmm. like, I don't want the sound effect to be the main focus of the panel. And that's and when I look at comic books, that, that has the tendency to be the overwhelming thing that I take away from comic books is um, you do, it usually goes in this order. Writer does the writing, send it to the artist. The artist draws the panel, they send it to the inker. The inker sends that, gets, gets that done, then it goes to the colorist. Then from the colorist, then it goes to the sound effects. Because the sound effects, the coloring needs to match the coloring of the book it needs to convey the same mood it needs to be in harmony in some kind of way so since sound effects is one of the last things that get done on the comic it tends to be on top of the image 
Um, they're like, I think a lot of the artists that are working, they're not necessarily the creator of the book or have a say on how certain things look after they finish with their part of the job. Um, the beauty of being the creator and artist of the second shift is I can go, okay, that doesn't look right. We need to adjust it. How can we make this work? Tristan is really great at that. It's like, if you tell him exactly what you want or pretty damn close to what you're looking for, he'll execute it and he'll execute it very well. Um, a lot of these, I just kind of let it fly. I just put the sound effects in, sent the email over to him because I'm, I'm doing two books. So it's just like, okay, I need to finish the back matter for issue 10, let him work on the, the lettering. And, um, so just taking that extra moment to think about the sound effects because two of the ones that he came back with, I was like, you know what? I actually had this pictured in my head and I just drew it out onto the board. And I was like, this looks way better. And, and another one, the reasoning behind me liking the sound effects behind the image is because it feels more like one piece. Like it's like, oh, it's totally working with the art. It's not working on top of the art and it's not working against the art. And a lot of times that happens as well. So um, when it's behind the image, and with a little bit of transparency, you get to see the color of the background come through. So it's like, it's completely part of the image. It's to the point where it's blended together. So I think moving forward, after I do the flatting, I'm gonna take the time to go, okay, what sound effects do I want in here? And how can I incorporate it into this image and just put it directly onto the board? And then that way, Joaquin can even potentially color the sound effects. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, hey, you can, change this to your palette. You know, this is the sound effects and this is the coloring I did because these are the flats that I did. But you're changing those colors, sometimes completely. So go ahead and change the sound effects color to match your palette and see how that works. Yeah, man, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's it's pretty neat the way you kind of walked through that because since I don't deal in color a lot, well, also I, I don't do sound effects, it's a pretty neat tip, I think, or a neat trick to take your sound effect if you're not going to color it and make it slightly transparent so it matches the color of the background. That's really cool. But then to your point, the fact that you're going one step beyond that and now you're like, well, I'll just drop it in early and then it can get colored in line with the panel and then it's really colored instead of me kind of doing a retro thing by dropping it in and making it transparent so it matches the color. So I, I dig it. I dig it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, man. It's like my growth in comic creating is is expanding it's taking some steps forward and i like that in the sense that the last couple of years it's been my art that has been expanding and taking steps forward and uh now it's the comic process as a whole i'm like everything's just kind of coming together a little bit better and you know i don't know where i am in this ten thousand hours thing but uh it, it feels like i'm i'm making some traction here and i'm pretty happy with the growth and the the process uh, as it goes on nice nice man that's, that's really cool that's really cool uh so for me you know there's it's going to be a lot of conceptual stuff i think for me today at least a lot of the bigger thinking things and uh, and i think a lot of them kind of center around three protectors so the first thing is that I spent some time not necessarily writing scripts, but thinking of scripts for what are going to be a large amount of videos that I'm going to do for the Three Protectors Kickstarter or in line with it. And so a friend of mine, who uh, I'll, I'll name him because this is going to be a bit of a thread over the coming weeks here, is um, he's actually, he, he makes films. 
um, and he and he does commercial work and stuff, and he's going to come down and do some um, some videos like at my place, and then we're going to use those as part of the Kickstarter. And it's not just going to be the basic Kickstarter video or uh, or other things like that. It's also going to be the other videos that we want to use during the the hot run of the campaign. And that's going to be maybe background on characters, on music, on whatever. So what I was doing was I was brainstorming what I can talk about that's going to be a nice little snippet to use during this Kickstarter. And just here's another nugget today. Here's another nugget today. Here's another cool thing um, with the idea of just getting people really interested in reading this. Right. And I'm I'm trying to deliver what I find interesting and um I am the kind of person where the more I hear about a project, the better. You know, you could you could probably dress up something pretty bad that's not even to my taste. And if you give it enough, here's what I was thinking here, or here's what I'm thinking here, you could get me to buy that. You know, like, let's just take something I don't read, like romance. You know, if someone came out theoretically and said, you see some video that just pops up on your Instagram feed where they're like, you know, what was the big inspiration for, for this romance thing? Death note. And I'd be like, well, okay, I'm interested here. <laughs> you know, like how, how did death note possibly inspire your romance? Uh, so that kind of stuff is immediately going to pull me in. And then I, that, you know, that, that might move me to just buying it right there. Because even as I read the romance, I'm going to be like, ah, that's the part that's Death Note. That's the part that the creator said is Death Note. So those type of things, they're very helpful in, I think, getting people more engaged with what you're doing, you know? And it's something that I've noticed uh, that that the guys in Vader have also noticed about really successful Kickstarters. You know, they engage throughout the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter itself is super engaging with all kinds of cool content and information. And um, and then, of course, you have videos that, that are that way sometimes. So again, we're going to going to step it up a little bit and uh, and see how it works. So I'm I'm excited. We're I'm going to be filming them on the sooner rather than later like within the next week or two and I'm going to need to write some scripts over this coming 7 to 10 days, maybe a little bit longer to to get ready for it. Yeah, that's great, man. That's that's a great idea. I feel like I mean, I've got the handle on the basic format of the Kickstarter, like the visuals that you need, like some of the visuals that you need. But there's other aspects that I really do need to step up. And I would really like to talk to people that have these highly successful Kickstarters and and find out what exactly they're doing. And and that's a good note. That's one of the good things. uh, One of the things that you've noticed. That's a that's a good note. um, Indeed. Uh, Another thing, just like what you said, you know, someone selling you on the inspiration of it all. That's something to go back to a week or two's episode where we talked about selling at conventions. Like that's that's one of the ways that you can sell someone on your product at a show. You know, let them know what inspired you to create the book and that will more than likely get someone to pick up the book. You know, it's like not only can this work on Kickstarter, but this is a formula that works very well in person. You know, I've I've sold yeah. many a people on the second shift on the fact that like the brother and sister tandem in the comic, it's like really my relationship with my sisters um, and myself when I was a little kid, you know, like how they how Sarah treats Eddie is how my sisters treated me. It's like I have two sisters. Sarah's kind of like She's like an amalgam of both of my sisters and some of my personality where Eddie is just me as a as a goofball teenager. And it's it's so easy to write in that sense. And um, it also anyone that has a, you know, an older sister or an older sibling, they know that dynamic. And that's something that would bring them into reading the book. 
Totally. I mean, that gets into something that I varied went up a little bit when I talk about Kadoja. Very similar, because the two things I like to mention about Kadoja that are not apparent, after the basics, of course, which are apparent, are number one, there is a Death Note element. You know, I didn't just pull that out of my butt. Like, Kadoja's tertiary influence is Death Note, because... My favorite thing about Death Note is the interplay, the the intellectual back and forth between the two main characters. And on a much lower level, which I tell everybody, you know, it's General Cruz against Kadoja itself. That is the Battle of Wits going on here. Nowhere near as involved as Death Note. But once I tell you about that, you can see the influence and, and what I tried to do in the context of my story. Then the other thing I tell people is the character that's most like me is General Cruz. So, you know, when it comes to personality, when it comes to mannerisms, um, General Cruz is, you know, uh, her looks are loosely based on my wife. Her personality is much more than loosely based on me, (laughs) you know, so it's and it's that sort of stuff that, like you said, you know, you say that and it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting, you know, or, or whatever. And it just, you know, it it might. First of all, it's fun to talk about. Second of all, I think people, you know, you learn, you're going to learn out there as you're talking about your stuff, what interests people, because you're going to see them react to it. You know, Scott and I have arrived at these things, not because we pulled them out of the sky, but because we mentioned them and people got really interested in the past. And then they're like, oh, well, tell me more about that. And then you get to talk more and you're like, oh, wow, it turns like, like, turns out I, I think I kind of hit on something here. So anyway, just just something to keep in mind. Yeah, when you're just vamping with uh, fans that are work, are walking around the show and you're telling them about your project, they can visually see when you get excited about a certain part of your project. And people like to see that excitement. You know, it's like they want to be a part of that too. So then that's why they usually end up picking up the book. Totally. It, the enthusiasm translates so much. And we've said this a couple of different ways about in different contexts. But in this case, your enthusiasm about your project is going to translate to other people, just like the flip side, just like a lack of enthusiasm is going to translate to people as well. So with that, uh, what was your second thing, man? Okay, so I touched on a little bit with that first one, but it would be back matter. Um, I talked mostly about lettering on that first stint there. And, uh, the, you know, uh, handwriting the lettering. Uh, but I've been doing the back matter stuff along with Ed. And so I usually end up tackling the letters page. You know, I'll do the little, um, I call it the letters page. You know, we'll have some letters back there. I think the last two episodes we didn't have any. Um, so uh, if you're out there and you've read Second Shift and you want your letter to be in the back of the next issue, just shoot me a note, uh, makingcomicspodcast.gmail.com, and I'll put it in the back of the next issue. Uh, but we do write something there. We will, we'll do a little blurb on, you know, what's going on in the issue, what the... Uh, uh, you know, creative process was behind it, you know, like how long we've been working on that issue or thinking about that issue. And so usually I'm the one that does it, but I wanted Ed to tackle it because honestly, I've said more than what I need to say in the last few issues. So I was like, you know what, let let Ed tackle this part of it and get him to, you know, um, get his words out there and, you know, his information. And then also working on the uh, previously on section. So if you read the second shift, I'll usually do a previously on uh, on the inside cover where the credits page is. So, you know, it it's kind of like when you watch a TV show, 
they'll do a little recap for you like oh previously on whatever um this happened this happened this happened and so it catches you up on all the things that you need to know that's going to happen in that episode i do the same thing with my comic books so um each each one of the characters they'll have something next to their name it'll have like their name their uh, powers and then it'll say what happened with them that actually has anything to do with this issue that's going on today so i had uh i'll do like kind of like what we did for issue 12 where i'll write it and ed rewrites it or 12 is more of a collaboration a combination of two scripts but um he'll do the inside blurbs like over mine so he'll read what i got if it's good he'll leave it if not he'll he'll kind of rewrite it jazz it up so uh we've been doing that and uh it's fun it's it's a fun part of the process it's not as glamorous as the interiors or anything like that but uh, it, it's been cool. It's been a cool thing to do. And uh, obviously, when you're at that stage of making the comic book, you're close to wrapping up. So that's also why it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, man, that's that's cool. That's cool. Um, all right. So let's see. What what do I want to talk about for my second thing? It's really it's really three protectors again. And it does it does feed from the first thing. So in trying to prepare this extra content that I want to share during the Kickstarter, because I mean, that's that's part of the trick too, right? You want to share as much as you can about the project without actually giving away the story. And so this extra content, you know, sketches, whatever, I think that kind of stuff's cool. And like anything, you, you know, you learn to just trust your gut. If you think it's cool, then thousands of other people think it's cool, if not more. So I was going through all of my old emails with all kinds of interesting content about three protectors. I was like, maybe I can use this. Maybe I can use that. And I came upon this stuff from the story building stage on like version two. Now, uh, remember that this is the seventh draft. This is version seven. And so much of the story has changed. But I came across this thing from version two and I was like, "Ooh, that's really cool. And then you think of the larger context that three protectors, as as Scott has suggested, should be at least three stories, three volumes. And I have an incredibly loose idea of how it's going to go. It's, it's you know, very, very loose. So that sparked the idea of thinking about, okay, well, what what do I want these next two volumes to do? Like, what's the idea? What's the climax? And I came across an idea I really, really like. It is early in the formative stage, but I like it a lot, and I'm definitely going to run with it. I'm going to sit down, scribble it down once it gets a little more fully formed, and then start bouncing it back and forth with with Lance and see where uh, what he thinks about it and how we can build on that. Because I've mentioned this in the context of Kadoja, Kadoja Volume One is uh, Volume Four, Number One is really cranking along, but I'm not going to release that until I have an idea on when Volume. Uh, for number two is going to come out. And right now I don't even have an artist for it. So that's just going to sit on ice for a little bit. Same thing with three protectors in that with me getting closer and closer to this Kickstarter, I want to have an idea what the hell issue volume two is going to look like. I don't have an artist for that either, but you know, we, I'm sure I can devote myself to actually finding one, but it has to start with me getting the big idea on where I want this three volume arc to go. And uh, I just got an idea that's going to change the way I think, but I also think it's super cool. Obviously I can't share it because it's just too new and I wouldn't anyway, but uh, 
the important part to share is that this is that kind of big thinking that I talk about that writers do. I thought about it while I was walking around. I thought about it while I was driving. I thought about it. In fact, there was a night a couple nights ago where instead of actually sitting down to do tactical work, I decided to just put on jazz records and think. I just, and, and the, the weird thing is, I put a jazz record on and it wasn't letting me think enough. It was like too funky. It was too involved. And I was like, this isn't good. This isn't good. I'm here to like space out and think. So I actually changed records, went to another record. I'm like, immediately, yes, this is the one that allows me to think. And then I started thinking on it. I'm like, okay, maybe this, maybe that. And that's how I came upon this idea. So from the writing point of view, the big thinking is important. You you can't do the small stuff without the big stuff first. So I'm at the big stuff when it comes to Three Protectors Volumes 2 and 3. I'm excited. And uh, and we'll see where it goes and how it breaks down into tactical actions from there. Yeah, the the atmosphere around you is huge. When you're doing your creative process, whether it be writing, um, thinking about the process, actually getting down to writing, uh, drawing, you know, what what part of the process, if I'm doing lettering, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever part of the process you're doing uh, for the comic book. Like, for instance, sometimes a show will be too engaging and I'll be distracted. So it's like, I need to put something that's just, I've watched a thousand times, so I don't need to pay attention to it. Uh, I'm more of a, a people talking guy, like as opposed to music, you know, it's just like, I, I think I work better when I feel like people are around me and um, um, TV shows help with that. And uh, so that's interesting for you. Like it, it works the same with music. It's just like, well, this isn't the right album. Like it's clearly not the right album for my state totally. of mind. So <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and to your point, and maybe it's an only child thing due to, due to some circumstances. Um, my wife hasn't been in the house uh, for, for evenings over the last um, couple weeks. And as a result, I've been here. I mean, we've, we've obviously hung out all the time. It's just when it came time to it, you know, there's this prime time of thinking and of work where she's not around. And so I find that my schedule involves a ton of music. Like tonight, I just put the stereo on and then did stuff around the house. But the, the music was always there. So yeah, that's my thing. I like having music there as whatever my background noise is to your point as opposed to words and stuff so uh yeah yeah, man it's 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 great and it's allowed me to kind of have my mind expand and hopefully go to some cool places when it comes to three protectors yeah and hopefully uh when you're in the complete writing process of the three protectors that shaw brothers box set comes in with those two cds so you can groove out to that while while doing some yeah. writing yeah well and that's also it's it's funny because you had mentioned you're going to know exactly what it was. I'm not going to try to fill in the blanks for you, but we had a conversation recently about how, oh, I know what it was. It was your Topi book. It was that, or Topi. Um, it was the book where where we talked about how getting something that entertains you is great. Getting something that entertains you and can inspire future stuff is even better. So Shaw Brothers, it turns out, checks both of those boxes for me now because it's going to be some good groovy inspiration. In fact, I watched a couple kung fu films over these last few weeks, one of which was recommended and I thought was just horrible. <laughs> but <laughs> which movie? I, it was it legit it is like the worst plot I have ever seen in a film in my life. Well, which one is it? It's it's a film called Kung Fu Cult Master. Okay, I haven't heard of it. It is an early Jet Li film. Oh, I do like it Jet Li. It is it is it makes so little sense. I I 
I can't even begin to describe how little goddamn sense this film makes. So, hey, if, if you disagree, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com is here for you. I would love someone to explain this film to me because it was it was just complete nonsense. And, and it was so bad that I was just like, man, I really want to sit through this for the kung fu action, but it's just so stupid, <laughs> you know? So anyway, um, but yeah, there's been some good inspiration in there as well. And, and it's the osmosis thing. You know, kung fu films, like, we did this um, We did this with Big Pimp Jones when we were recording all the Kadoja soundtracks. We would just put Godzilla films on in the background, you know? Did it, did it affect the recording? Yeah, it did on some level, although I couldn't possibly tell you why. It's all about vibe and atmosphere, you know? So, um, and you just never know what thing's going to lead to what other thing. So anyway, uh, good stuff, and, uh, and, and hopefully it's a springboard to some even better stuff for Three Protectors in the future. Sweet. All right, so my last thing is just an amalgam of, of all the stuff that I have left. So my freelance work is picking back up. I got a couple more toys to draw. Uh, commissioner, the commissioner that uh, has me doing the mermaids, I'm still waiting to hear back. It's been over a week. I sent him the uh, essentially uh, rough pencils. Like like the, the mermaid herself is, is pretty tight. Honestly, everything's pretty close to tight. Um, I can just ink that all in one session or just, a you know, blue line it all and then put it to board and then ink traditionally. And then that, uh, segues into my last thing, which is I've printed all the covers in blue line. So I talked about the last episode, how I like to work digitally, get the layout, the format right on the cover, then print it out in blue line and ink traditionally so I can own a physical piece, uh, for the covers or, uh, uh, double page splashes or you know single single page splashes so i printed out three different things and uh, one of those things actually i forgot to mention on the interior cover to second shift 10 i did a uh time card or, or excuse me like a a title card a title card and that's something i'm actually going to be doing for the hardcover so something i mentioned i want to do on the hardcover is take all the covers out uh, in between the issues and stick them in the back in a cover gallery. So what do I need there? So the thought was, well, maybe I can draw transitional pages that transitions you from that issue to the next issue. Well, that's a lot of work and it's a lot of extra pages um, that I don't mind, but uh, sometimes it's like time has passed quite a bit in between issues. So it's too hard to do a transitional page. So what else could I do? Title cards, replace those covers with a simple image that reflects what's going on in that issue and not a ton of detail, but enough to let you know what's going on and uh, move you forward. So I'm actually going to be doing title cards for all of the issues in the hardcover. And issue 10, it just so happened that I had a complete idea of what I wanted that title card to look like. And I was like, oh, screw it. I'll just do it right now. And I banged it out. And I was like, you know what? Forget it. This will be the inside cover to Second Shift 10. And I'll just use that again for the for the title card when the time comes. And so it's kind of like two birds with one stone. So um, it, it's it's nice fitting all of that stuff in in my very busy schedule already. But it's like I, I have so much extra work to do that uh, I didn't even realize I had to do. And it's just coming up. I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot I need to do this. I forgot I need to do that. And I'll save that for next week because I'll actually be tackling it. Um, 
but things keep coming up and one of those things that I needed to do was an interior for the credits page and, and so I was able to knock it out super fast and it looks pretty cool. And uh, it's so simple that I was like, yeah, I'm definitely gonna print this out, ink it traditionally, and then when the hardcover Kickstarter come, comes about, I'll actually have it for uh, a reward tier. You know, it's just like, okay, well, I need higher, I need a higher total for this Kickstarter. And one of the, one of the way to do that is to have higher price items. So one of the higher tiers will be these time cards, or I keep saying time cards, these title cards for each issue. So it's nice to have one of them done. Nice, man. Yeah, I mean, you previewed that title card. Uh, I got to see it, and I thought it was really, really cool. Thanks, so man. I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, uh, it goes without saying, I'll be back in the hardcover when it's time. So I, I look forward to seeing those in context. So anyway, very, very cool. Um, I mean, I guess I did a little, a few little things. A lot of them are around prepping the next big Kickstarter for Invader, which is Freaks and Gods. And, um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that was just that, that grunt work that we talk about, right? Building the Kickstarter, thinking about the tiers, thinking about the dollar values and, and going from there, because I'm the person that does a lot of the engineering of the Kickstarter at the first of all, the graphics that go in the story. Second of all, the finances behind the tiers, the tiers themselves, how the costs work, etc. So even though I've been talking about three protectors as a creator, that is my third <laughs> Kickstarter down the road. I have Freaks and Gods this month, and then I have another one next month, and then in March I'll be working on my own because, yay, I'm, I'm a managing partner of Invader, and I am also the writer of Three Protectors. So a lot of work, but not that interesting to talk about. Are so, you going to have it under your your same uh, Kickstarter that you've been using? Like, will it be under your email and your name? Or are you guys going to have an Invader separate, like our, uh, an Invader Kickstarter? That So this would be the debut of that. Yeah, so we already debuted the Invader Comics moniker for Kickstarter for the Dr. Crow trade. Oh, okay. And so all the Kickstarters will go through Invader, including mine, including Three Protectors. So... There could be a space in the future for for my own Kickstarters. For example, on the official Invader release schedule, Kadoja Volume 4 as a graphic novel is slated for 2023. I will personally kickstart the individual issues along the way. Oh, okay. Those might not go under Invader. They will probably go under Kadoja. And that's where I see the Kadoja Kickstarter sort of you know, fitting in that way. Um, obviously, Mike and I can talk about this, and Kevin. Kevin's the other managing partner of Invader, and uh, and we can see how it works. But uh, it, you know, when it's my turn, when it's my turn. Right now, it's. But I, I think the intent is to have them all go through Invader and then go from there. So, to be continued, man. We'll see. Nice. But with that, it's time for our main topic, and. There's probably a better way to talk about this, but I bounced this off Scott yesterday and, and we're both, I think, pretty into it. We want to talk a little bit about action and the moment of impact, which, of course, is the title of this episode, which you've known for 30 some minutes because that's what the title is. And so what what Scott and I thought we were going to do or, or figured we can do here is we're going to pick some pages and then we'll figure out a way to share those pages. And... uh if we can share them on Anchor, we will. If not, we will put them on our websites and talk about it from there so that people can take a look at these pages and see the choices we made and why we made them. And uh, I, I'm hopeful that it's going to be a pretty cool little exercise to show what action we chose 
and why we chose those exact moments to signify or represent the action. So with that said, you know, we're not going to really cheat off each other's homework here. You're just going to describe your action and go from there. So go ahead, man. What what page would you like to talk about in terms of the action? Um, as far as moment of impact, so I actually have two pages. And um, much like a student in class that wasn't completely paying attention, I didn't know it was the moment of impact exactly. Uh, but one of the two pages I sent you actually fits the bill completely. Uh, yeah, no, moment of impact was just a catchy title. Oh, it's okay. really about action. It's really about action and why you're choosing that exact moment, that millisecond frozen in time of action in the comic panel, as opposed to four milliseconds ahead, four milliseconds behind, etc. Like, why are you choosing that exact moment to represent the action that's on page? Oh, okay. Well, I, I picked a page that represents, uh, number one, um, fight choreography. And that's something I'm huge on. Both of my books rely heavily on fight choreography. I wrestled for 10 years. I pretty damn good at fight choreography that's that's like my whole bag um so in issue one of the second shift it's page 10 second shift second shift one page 10 uh sarah is actually taking down a group of thugs and honestly this is pretty good foresight for someone that was just starting back to do comic books after a 10-year hiatus um i decided the way that i wanted to represent it and it's kind of it kind of goes against the way i think people think of speed so the way people think of speed is um less panels blur lines um and just big shots big movement but the way i chose to represent it in this particular page and i'm going to put this on my instagram in the stories or you know what? i might even make make it as a post so so people can see yeah. it um I'll put both of these pages up and actually maybe, maybe just this one because issue 10. Well, that's a way better idea too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We're figuring this out on the fly. You can put it on your Instagram and then that way people can just check out the Instagram for the page instead of having to go to a site or anything. Yeah, exactly. So I, I decided to put a whole bunch of panels on one page. So, um, I have a three, six, nine, I have 10 panels on a single page and they're obviously smaller panels because you need to see everything that's going on. There is, and honestly it has a nice variety of, uh, farther shots, like smaller imaging, uh, close-ups of, uh, a certain action. So it's just like Sarah, this guy throws a punch. She catches the punch, um, swings him around and throws him into another guy. The other guy is trying to stab her. She catches him by the wrist uh, leaning backward in a bridge and also kicking him in the nuts at the same exact time. The next panel, since she's upside down because she's leaning back, dodging the blade while kicking him in the nuts, the next panel, the characters are upside down that she's looking at because she is upside down. I was like, man, uh, when I was going through the first trade, I'm gonna look at you, Scott. Look at look at young Scott, knowing what the fuck he's doing. Um, you know, and then she takes the knife away. She sticks it in her boot. She gives a look, close up of a look behind. You get a back elbow to the guy, uh, catches his fist, back elbows to the gut. Judo flips him over and uh, back flips over the original guy with the gun, kicking him in the back of the head, and boom, end page. And and so that that's all on one page. It's a lot of action. It has great movement. I like the way I chose to, how I chose to lay the panels out themselves. Um, each row kind of overlap each other, and they kind of connect with uh, one big image at the bottom that's your anchor image 
and uh, with the backflip over the guy, uh, kicking him in the back of the head at the same time. So another thing that uh, uh, I did very early on, and I honestly don't use it as much as I should, I would do a lot of shadow imaging. So shadow imaging is when it's like, okay, Nightwing, for instance. When Nightwing is jumping along the building, it's one giant panel. But you'll see these little shadow images of doing flips and flips. And then, you know, the most uh, forefront shot of him is usually the last image of him. And that's the one that's in regular color, regular line weight, no transparency. So the shadow images are transparent. And so you can tell like, oh, these these are in the past. This is the movement. So um, I did that on this page. And, and it's kind of kind of nice to see that, you know, some of these original pages still hold up. Nice. Nice. That's that's very cool. How much time elapses from the beginning of the page to the end of the page? It sounded like about three seconds. Yeah, I would say no more than 20, 15 to 20. Oh, really? Okay, so, so a, little, a little slower than that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, but gotcha. It, it's still pretty fast. I mean, yeah, I would say 15 is, is pretty solid for to do all of the things that she did. Um, and it's just a different representation of, of time. It's like I wanted to show that she's that quick. Like she can dismantle these guys in one page. And the way to show that is it all stays on one page. I don't take I don't take five or six pages to show you all of these things. I think the more pages you use, the more time has elapsed. So yeah. this is like, hey, this is all done in, in a matter of seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And and so again, for the for the purposes of the podcast the choices here are important. Scott made a conscious choice to represent speed and agility by having this entire thing happen on one page. And then the other thing is, I'm sure without even looking, that when we're talking about all these panels, again, we get back to this idea of if someone is taking an elbow to the nose, the moment that we're talking about here is where the elbow is actually smushing the nose. Right. I mean, this sort of thing is intuitive and obvious, yet maybe not, you know, and, and so hopefully it's helpful out there to someone that that the sub moments that Scott is choosing here are also intended to push the fight along because it's not going to take you 20 seconds to read this page. It's going to take you a couple. Yep. There is literally depending on how much dialogue there is. Yeah. Right? The more dialogue it is, the more you slow down. This dial this page has three word bubbles. And, yeah. and it's so you're two of them. Two of them are reactionary to her strikes. Yeah. And one of them is a reaction to what's happening. And then a couple of sound yeah. effects from like fingers crunching, you know, kick to the back of the head. And the best mm -hmm. part about this page is um, the next page. It's a page turn. And the next page is her taking off her jacket and her um, scarf she was wearing. So in this page, she's undercover, essentially. She's not in her sure. superhero outfit. She's a girl walking by herself in a park that has had a lot of problems at night. So yeah. that's the whole, that's the story element to this page. So she's going undercover, you know, a girl by herself, and here's these guys that have been causing the problems. And then page turn reveal, she's out of her costume because... As she's jumping over the guy, she's actually pulling the jacket off of herself, wrapping it around his face, and kicking him in the back of the head at the same time. So she's removing those elements that are hiding her costume, and boom, the big reveal on the page turn, uh, page turn is her in her costume. And I actually sent you the image of this page, so if you want to look at it, 
um, you, mm-hmm. you can. Well, I'm talking to you on that phone right now, so I am. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought, yeah, okay, I thought yeah. I sent you your other But mo- most importantly, don't front, strike the nuts. That's the key takeaway from this page. Mm-hmm. Don't front, strike the nuts. So with that, what uh, what's your second page you wanted to talk about? Do you want to do yours and then I'll do mine after you? Mine's oh. a double page spread, oh, okay. so it, it's fine. Do yours and then, because mine's mine's just happens to be a double page. I thought that was the most interesting thing to talk about. Well, the, this other page, it's actually from page, or excuse me, it's from book 10. Um, it is in the latter stage of the issue. So I don't want to give away too much, actually. That's why I said I wasn't going to post it, um, because mm-hmm. this is a newer issue that's coming out. But the thing that I really like about this page is it starts off with a giant action and explosion. And it's the reaction of this character as to what's going on in the home. So the character's blown blown away from the explosion. It's la- He's landing and he's reacting to the things that's going on around him. There's clo- uh, there's cloud of smoke everywhere. Um, there's fire everywhere. He realizes what's going on. There's an amazing, amazing. It's my drawing. Like I feel like an asshole saying that. But it's it, amazing, it's dude. It's fucking so amazing. fucking dope. It's so dope. It's the dopest <laughs> dope that's ever been smoked. Um, <laughs> no, so it, there's there's a, a very animated look on his face when he realizes what's going on. Because the first couple of panels, it's a reaction to what's going on around him. And, and, and you know, it's like, oh, my stuff or whatever. And then he realizes what's really at stake. And then there's this expression on his face that reads, reads as such. You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh, he's really concerned as to what's going on. And then he scrambles to go take care of those things so this one is a little bit difficult to talk about obviously because i'm being vague because this issue is just coming out um so hopefully you guys uh back the kickstarter if you didn't you know go to accidentalaliens.com so hopefully by then this this thing will be up there if not uh you know keep refreshing come back every once in a while (laughs) yeah at least make a vow to update it when the whole thing comes out and then just throw up a post on your instagram or something right that's fair that's fair. All right, so you want me to, to talk about my double All page All right, spread? yeah, your turn. All right, so so mine is from Kadoja Volume 2, and it is technically Issue 2, pages 14 and 15. So it's a, it's a double-page spread, and again, I'll probably break this down into a couple things when it comes time to post this on the Instagram, uh, just to give it an idea. But um, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, basically eight panels of action, there's two other panels of um, some characters talking as they react to that action, but those aren't important here. So what you have is you have uh, panel one where a drone is flying by Kadoja for surveillance, and Kadoja is actually looking, not necessarily in the direction of the camera, but looking, um, what would I say, like directly off screen to the left, um, maybe sort of at the reader. And, and the, the fun thing, so there, there's a couple things going on. What, what I like about this particular page is there, there's kind of a through line of missiles getting fired at Kadoja. So in the first panel, we're looking at Kadoja looking off screen at something. And in the background, we see the smoke trails of two missiles that are being launched toward it. In the second panel, no more than, you know, a, a couple seconds later, Kadoja in the same exact position turns its head and notices that the missiles are on their way right so this is kind of like you talked about with the invincible panels a little while ago right this is an example of repetition where you're using the same exact frame so that you can convey a passage of time and convey the action of of one character in here right 
So then, and again, this is a double page spread. So then we go to panel three, which is on the right page. And we are now in the POV of those missiles at a distance away from Kadoja as they are flying toward Kadoja. And Kadoja is in a very ready stance, getting ready to do something, right? And then uh, back to the left, we have panel four, which is Kadoja. I've, I've posted <clears throat> this particular pose on Instagram a fair amount. I think I even turned it into a sticker. It is Kadoja dodging one of the missiles and letting it kind of fly under Kadoja's right arm. So it was waiting for the missiles and it lets the first one kind of go by and it's doing a very nimble move for a 200 foot tall biodroid. Um, then you go to issue, uh, sorry, uh, panel number five, and you get a close up of Kadoja's hand clutching the other missile. So, and and Rory put the sound effect in there of catch, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I was, which I'm pretty excited about. You know, it, it's funny that you have that kind of doubling it, but I really did enjoy the sound effect of catch there. Bagel. Um, yeah, bagel. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the the greatest moment in animated history, the the bagel chuck at the head. He stole our bagel. Um, he stole, a, he stole a bagel. Um, and then we go to panel six, which is now a, a distant shot, semi-distant shot of Kadoja. But the cool thing is that Kadoja fills up the entire panel, which re- really gives you a great idea of scale here. You know, it's so goddamn big that it's just too big for the panel and you can only see a part of it, which Rory did frequently in this volume, or at least a few times in this volume, frequently enough. And... He is now it, whatever, is now holding the missile and bending it like a pencil, just getting ready to snap the son of a bitch. Right. And um, and then we go back to the left side and we have panel number seven and Kadoja is now kind of turning his head up and away as the missile explodes in its hands with with a boom. And then the next panel after that is a video feed of Yancey and Williams at special weapons reacting to this. And uh, so you then kind of zero time basically elapses from panel seven to panel eight, right? We, we have a duplicate in a lot of ways of that same exact action. And now we're, we're in special weapons, which then carries the scene since I've transitioned there using that specific and Rory has using that specific moment of action to transition away from being in the field with Kadoja to being back at special weapons with, uh, with, Yancey and with Williams. Nice. Very cool. What volume is this? This is volume two. Kadoja volume two. And uh, so what I like here is I like the through lines of the missiles because the missiles are present. You you go from inception to destruction in seven slash eight panels, which I think is really neat, you know, and that allows you to understand that somewhere around 10 to 20 seconds has probably elapsed given the speed of missiles from the top right Uh, top left to the bottom right of the page here and then also just the nice moments that Rory is choosing here I mean you know some some of this is probably in my script and some of this is Rory just doing Rory stuff um, with Kadoja dodging the missile and the fact that the missile is kind of going through a gap in between Kadoja's arm and its thigh uh, at that one spot, and then the close-up on Kadoja clutching the missile, at getting ready to snap it, and then snapping it, and having it explode. So again, we could go into detail on why we're making these choices, but the the important thing is that there are through lines of action, action is being conveyed, and the moments that we're choosing 
are the moments that that we believe as a creative team are pushing the story along in the best way possible. If we made different choices with any of these panels, I think it would be more confusing. You know, the to, to paraphrase Scott McCloud, the magic of comics is in the gutter. The magic of comics is what your brain does as a reader in between these panels, forming the connective tissue to make this a, a fluid thing instead of a bunch of snapshots in time. And so hopefully this helped and hopefully it gives you something to keep in mind when you're choosing those exact micro moments of action for yourself in your own comics. Yeah, definitely. This was a fun topic, man. I wish we had the um, uh, the visual elements of like a, a YouTube show or something or like like one day maybe we'll actually fully take advantage of the Spotify um, uh, camera action on the pod like like they do with like the Joe Rogan or, or whatever other podcasts like they actually have a visual element to it as well, which is super cool. Uh, yeah, but, we're, we're going to workshop this live right now, but I'm actually a big believer in that. Maybe like once a quarter, we just we just pick a special episode like this where it makes sense to record us on Zoom or something instead of this. And yeah. then we can throw up visuals and have it like a Zoom meeting, you know, and then just keep it archived. I think that'd be pretty fun. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, man, look at us. We're, we're kind of hatching new podcast ideas on the podcast itself. It's very meta. Much like, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, Much like us improving our comics process and, and creative process, we're improving our podcasting process, right? Right yeah, in front yeah. of your ears. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do do you have any pet peeves? I have, a, I have I'm not going to say pet peeves, but okay, one of them is absolutely a pet peeve that might be <laughs> only me, and the other is an observation that I just think is helpful. Um, I do not, but I, I, this is like I've said before, this is one of my favorite segments of our podcast is the pet peeve. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the, the, the one that I think is relevant and isn't just Keith's pet peeve is, and again, this is very much on the writing side. It's something that I notice in novels. It's something that could play in to a, a comic because, you know, comics are words and pictures. So my my beware sign, maybe we can call it like a beware sign. My beware sign is any time you use the word somehow, you should probably write around that. You know, if 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 a person wakes up from bed and they say somehow they felt energized. Well, they feel energized for a reason. So as a writer, my recommendation to you is to put a line through that somehow and actually explain why they are feeling energized because generally look look this is something that I've done obviously and and it's something that now once I caught I can't unsee it somehow is just you trying to put the story along without sort of wanting to put in the work of that particular moment in time and again I've seen it a fair amount um in in a bunch of different places. So yeah, I mean somehow does carry this cool element of mystery to it. You can make the argument that there's a very specific type of story like a psychological thriller or horror would be the two genres I would think of where you could sort of do a somehow assuming you're going to explain exactly what the reason was later. But in general, if you're doing that then you know you're almost making a note to yourself that you may want to go back and just dig a little bit deeper into that, explore it more, explore it more on the page, and I guarantee you the results are going to be rewarding and you're going to enjoy that. Now we're going to get to my pet peeve. And this is 
boy, this might be only Keith. Like I have this phrase that I use in my writer's workshops and have used for four years. I call it Keith Island. It's like, I'm just, I'm just going to row out to Keith Island where I'm alone here and see if, if I am in fact alone. Um, eye rolling, eye rolling. I, I am not a big fan of eye rolling in life. And I am even less of a fan of eye rolling in literature or in art, comics, movies, etc. And the reason is because it's a passive aggressive move. It it is taking the place of a greater degree of action or dialogue that could be taking place. So, you know, as as a person, if you ever happen to come up to me and roll your eyes, you're never going to get an acknowledgement from me. Because you didn't really do anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if if you have something you want to bring up, I encourage you to please bring it up. <laughs> but if you're rolling your eyes, well, then I'm just going to roll right over that, you know? So, and and from a, from a novel standpoint, from a comic standpoint, even from a movie standpoint, it's like eye rolling is a bit of a shorthand where, to me, I feel like there could be more work involved there that would, again, much to the first point, be a little bit more beneficial for absolutely everyone, including the viewer. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. I get it. Um, I, I hate eye-rolling. I've, I've experienced eye-rolling recently, and I didn't care for it. Um. <laughs> I think we all do. I think we all do. It's it's become quite pervasive. It's just eye-rolling. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I uh, this is an oldie but goodie, and I don't know if I've, I'm sure that I mentioned it, but uh, you know we're I don't know what 60 episodes in, so maybe the some of our newer listeners haven't li- uh, heard me say it before. 60 episodes in and 60 minutes in, so you know we're 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 all playing with house money right now at the 60 minute <laughs> mark of the podcast. Uh, artist signature. So if your signature is so big on your piece, you're doing it wrong. Like like I grew up reading. Um, comics in the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, I guess the 90s isn't a great example. I would say the 80s is a perfect example of what I, I grew up on uh, initially. 90s, it was it was the signature in a piece of torn paper that was drawn around it, uh, or, a, or a writing scroll, you know, uh, like Todd, Todd McFarlane, for example. He was huge on that. Jim Lee would always do kind of like a box around his. Mignola did a box around his. Um, but Mignola's was always small, as was Jim Lee's. But McFarlane was always very prominent. But his, for whatever reason, I think because growing up, he was the guy. Like in the 90s, he was the guy. And then Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld were battling out for the next guy, right? Um, but in the 80s, it was like a hunt to find out who drew the cover because they hid their signature. And as a kid, that's what stuck with me. The 90s scroll thing that never, like, I think I tried it for, like, a year in the 90s also, obviously, because it was the 90s. But ever since then, every time I draw something, I try to hide hide my signature or, or signature or incorporate it into the cover as much as possible. Uh, like I was talking about lettering, I want to make my signature part of the piece. I kind of want to hide it to make it not so obvious. And I kind of liked the hunt for that when I was a kid. You know, initially it was annoying. I was like, why... Where's their signature? Where'd they put it? Oh, there it is. And like after being annoyed initially, after a while, it was very endearing. I was like, yeah, they're, you know, this is their drawing. They want to let you know they drew it, but they also don't want it to take away from the art. And that that's yeah. always been my thing was that's that was my rationale. Even as a child was 
they don't want their signature to be distracting from the art. What is the main focus of this this cover? The cover, the art. That is yeah. the main focus. If you're making your signature so damn big, it's the most prominent thing on the piece. It's distracting the eye. Then you're doing it wrong. You you don't know what composition is. You don't know what layout is. Because when you're doing that, you fuck it all up. You fuck up your whole composition by making your signature the main focus of the piece. Don't do it. Yeah. 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 I mean, okay. I, I have a couple thoughts on this. Number one, this reminds me of a joke that I made with uh, with Chris, a.k.a. Ruckus of Big Pimp Jones, when we were in the studio one time. We did this really, really funky track that we uh, we self-released on on 45. It's it's out there in the world. The, the song ended up being called The Gatling. And it, it's just this funky piece that we're really pleased with. And he was like, hey, man, I'm eager to hear this on, on wax, you know, or wherever we put it. I'm like, well, I got bad news for you. I'm actually the final mix is just going to be me keeping the music very low and me just screaming over the top of it. That's that's going to be the track. Like, is that cool? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we were, we were cracking up about it. But in a way, the signature is very much that you create this cool piece of art and then you're just going blah. <laughs> Here's my signature all over top of it. You know what I mean? Like it's the, the yeah, you made this cool piece of art. It's yours. You don't need to distract people further with with uh, with the bullhorn of of your giant ass signature. Right. right? And, and not only that, they're going to like, look. Make it discreet, have it blend in. If they can't find it, guess what? You flip to the inside cover, and it says, cover artist, your name. Yeah. Ta-da! Like, exactly. Like, don't be so, right. so <laughs> ego Or a better version, another, a modern example for the, for the kids out there would be, like, how DJ Khaled says his fucking name on, like, every production, like, right. eight times. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Another um, DJ uh, yeah, Khaled. Yeah, exactly. Another exactly. <laughs> um, when did signatures on covers become a thing? I don't. I. I well, why don't I go look at my Fantastic Four Forty Nine and see if Jack Kirby signed that bad boy? Right? Like, can I find his signature? I'm pretty sure he did. I'm pretty sure he signed covers, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah, it's just it's like just be discreet about it. Just be cool. Um, every book that yeah. I like, all of my original comics that i got when i was a kid it was a hunt man like it's just yeah. like oh sylvester nah. drew this one no he didn't even i don't it. see it i don't see it I, I that was my hunch my hunch is that it probably became a thing in the 90s probably as a result of image though i can't you be mean sure. signing the cover no it started yeah. before that when though i was telling you right during that my whole segment i was saying in the 80s I would, oh, in the eighties, I okay. would hunt for signatures. On so cover. okay, so it was the eighties. It was the eighties. Well, well, but Dude, I don't. But I, I drank a thirteen percent about... beer, man. What do you want from me? <laughs> That's fair. I respect that. Um, I don't know about the seventies, though. You know what I mean? Like maybe what? What year was that? Was that the sixties? Um, hold on. Yeah, Fantastic Four Forty Nine was nineteen sixty six. Okay, so I'm wondering if it started in the seventies then, because honestly, I have. Uh, okay, so what prompted me... I know, I'm, pre I'm just pretty fascinated when it started, you know what I'm saying? Well, what prompted me to even bring that up again was I was showing my buddy Steve Whistler, Steve Whistler Jr., shout out Steve, um, I was showing him my recent pickups of the Golden Age Daredevil, and he was talking about how Charles Biro, his signature is so giant on the cover, 
And I, I told him, I'm like, actually, that's like a, a huge pet peeve of mine. And these are from the 1940s. So um, they were they were appearing on the covers in the 1940s. But he was also like, wait, but isn't he just the editor? And I was like, honestly, I, I don't even open these because they're so fragile that uh, they, you know, shatter in your hand. But check this out. Look how big! Oh this my god! Is. Yeah, that's bonkers. Yeah, so but but here's, so but here's what's interesting. I get the feeling there was an ebb and flow, because I I just pulled a couple comics here. I got Secret Wars number two, no signature I can find, no signature I can find, and Secret Wars two was nineteen eighty four, I think maybe eighty five. Firestorm the Nuclear Man number one, I think this was the seventies, maybe early eighties. Also, no signature to be found. Oh, you know what? I take that back. It's says... same, same with this this uh, Amazing Spider-Man run from um, the two fifties, right? Like, like no no noticeable signature. So, I think that's super interesting that back in the forties there was, but then it appears to have gone out of vogue for a while, and then probably come back to your point in the eighties eighties nineties nineties for sure with Image. But you know, you're saying that the seeds of that were probably in the eighties as well. Yeah, so I was wrong. Charles Bureau is, it's a story by Charles Bureau. So I, I'm taking it, he did the story and the art because there's no other um, signature. Yep, story, uh, story by Charles Bureau. Yeah, so that is his signature. That is, he is the artist and it is giant. Yeah, so, well, he's um, Charles fucking Bureau. Well, that's that, how I would sign my shit. Well, that's what I told my buddy Steve was, that's one of my giant pet peeves. I hate it so much. This is this is Charles Bureau from from Daredevil from 1944. Who the fuck am I? Yeah, you know. So exactly. I, it's like Dude, the con- the country was climbing out of a war. Right. You can sign that shit as big as you want. <laughs> we were we were building all the highways in the country. Like like shit was happening. And again, um, I didn't mind when McFarland did it. You know, it was just like yeah, his name's very prominent. It's it's like in a scroll that he's detailed and stuff, but his whole thing was detailing. So yeah. it's like there's exceptions to the rule. You know what I mean? It's just like this is the rule. Uh, you can break it if you're as good as Charles Bureau or Todd McFarlane. If yeah. you're if you're yeah. not that, calm the fuck down. So yeah, yeah. I, I I generally have a rule that if someone's body of work warrants their middle name being fucking. Then they can do whatever they want, yeah. right? He he's Todd fucking McFarlane, yeah, right, and that's that's how it works. Uh, Charles fucking Bureau, man, same thing, yeah. same thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, if you're a giant, then you can sort of do whatever you want. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, right. it, it is it is interesting. I, I didn't expect to kind of go down this rabbit hole, and it does seem to be like there were ebbs and flows where maybe creators were a bit more um, high profile in Golden Age. And then faded away probably due to this, you know, Marvel, DC, Uberales idea probably in the 60s and 70s and possibly early 80s. And then you probably had the birth of the creator as rock star thing that started to come up in the 80s with, I mean, we all remember, you know, like you you were younger, Scott, but, you know, I knew that John Byrne did the Fantastic Four. I knew that. That's what I was going to say. You know, like like uh, Jim. I mean, Jim Shooter was very visible when he wrote Secret Wars. So, uh, you know, the genesis or the return of the name brand creator seems to have its roots in the 80s. But uh, 
Yeah, that's, hey, that's, and someone can can definitely email us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail dot com and tell us we're wrong. We're just rhyming off the dome here, but it seems seems intuitive. Yeah, yeah. Let us know, makingcomicspodcast at gmail dot com. Let us know when the signatures on the cover became in vogue, and also maybe it's just a case by case situation. You know, maybe Jack Kirby. Yeah, he wasn't a guy to do that because it's not in his personality. He's not. He's not yeah. the guy. He's not Stan Lee. That's like, hey, I'm Stan Lee. I created all this stuff. It's like, Jam, uh, you know, Jack is the guy working in the basement, uh, hunched totally. over his desk, you know, busting out four pages a day. So, <laughs> yes, yes. The he is probably the least likely comic creator ever to sign their name on a cover. So pulling a Jack Kirby comic probably isn't a very good idea when we're when we're going down this rabbit hole. Um, um, do hey, me, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, do me a favor. Hold up your beer can there. Yeah, it's a beer bottle. It's fermented in the bottle, like Orson Welles, bitch. So I got a giant stack of books today from SoCal Comics, and it was forty dollars worth of single issues or dollar bins, and uh, so that's twenty four comics because at SoCal Comics you buy twelve you get two for free, so ten bucks for twelve, and. They restocked their their dollar bins, I think, about a month ago. Mm. And so every once in a while, I would pop in there, and I would kind of poke around for a little bit, but then I'd get in, get out, pick up my pulls, my weekly pulls, and see what's new, check a couple of the key titles to make sure no more issues of those came in. And uh, so I, I went in, and I found a lot of run filler that I've been looking for, like Oblivion Song. I found a lot of Moonshine. Uh, so... All of these books that we've been like kind of picking up on, uh, um, uh, shoot, what was that? Gideon Falls. Um, so there's been a lot of books that I found in there, a lot of run filler. So I was, I was happy to pick those up and uh, got a couple of new books and a couple of old school books. Um, I'm not going to say because I don't want people listening to the pod and going, oh, hey, I... I forgot about those books. Let me go look for those. So don't you? Yeah, exactly. We learned Scott learned his lesson from Golden Age Daredevil. Oh yeah, I'm I'm never free. Hashtag never forget. I'm currently getting screwed on that because I would find issues of Golden Age Daredevil for like fifteen twenty bucks. Now they're like thirty five and up, and I'm like, damn it, come on guys, like, like you guys don't give a shit about these. Why are you guys getting them? So yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, but but I think the case too is that all it takes is a few people to be interested in those things for it for people to feel like they're taking off, mm-hmm. which is yet another note that I'm probably going to have to go back and try to grab some Sandman's before it's all said and done. Um, especially before the Netflix show comes out and Hey, somebody here won their fantasy football championship Ooh. and got, and got a nice amount of coin as a result. So uh, I can, I can do some things with my, my money. I've already decided what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to a cool dinner with my wife and then I'm probably going to go to Amoeba music and just buy a whole bunch of records. I think yeah. that's the way I want to roll with this. But the thing about Amoeba music in, in Hollywood is that they have a book off level of graphic novels there that are all used and amazing. Like it is, it is in, incredibly impressive how many goddamn graphic novels you can buy there at a really good price. So nice. I will definitely hit the upper floor, sort of the upper floor there in Hollywood, in the new Amoeba Hollywood, and uh, and see if there's some graphic novels. Because, you know, you mentioned Ice Cream Man last week or the week before. 
and I'm building up my issues of Ice Cream Man because when I didn't do the the comics like you, I think I just started with 21. It just happened to be right around when I got into it. And that means that I needed to get the first four trades. Well, I got the first two, but I'm still waiting on three and four. So I think I'll hold. And, and as a result, I can't read 21 because I need to go 11 through 20 first. And um, anyway, so I, I think that'll that'll definitely be uh, one of my fingers crossed books that I hope is there at Amiibo when I when I do that uh, that run in a week or two to to grab some records and fill out that collection a little bit too. Nice. Yeah, man. All right, so you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. That is all things Keith, including some really kick-ass things that are coming up from Invader. Some of those may have been even posted by now. And then, of course, if you just want to live in the giant monster world, then by all means, follow at Kadoja Kaiju on Instagram. I love Instagram and don't really use anything else. So those two handles are where you can find me. And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. KeithRFoster.com is where you can find my stuff. And we'll see. Like, this is going to be a fun little game because we're recording this now. And I am going to San Jose this weekend for fencing tournament number one because fencing's back, baby. And I'm going there and my kid's fencing. So I should have some time to update KeithRFoster.com, which I want to do. I want to do some things, get three protectors a little more involved um, and maybe do a blog post or two as well. So... When I listen back to this in a little while, uh, it'll be an interesting check on myself like, hey, Keith, did you do this? So anyway, KeithRFoster.com. You can find all kinds of good stuff there as well as a Kadoja store. And you can find my comics, The Second Shift, A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans at AccidentalAliens.com. I also actually have some other books on that website. Uh, Tales from the Mothership. It is our sci-fi anthology series and or actually it's a catch-all series so uh, ignore that part. And Accidental Aliens Anthology 2018, 2019, 2018. That one is our sci-fi bend and then 2019 is our uh, creature feature. So that is the origin story of the kaiju that appears in Second Shift number seven you don't need to read second shift number seven to know what's going on in accidental aliens anthology 2019 and vice versa so pick up either or both if you want the complete series yeah and look we know you have three minutes of your life available right so in those three minutes of your life head on over to apple podcasts and theoretically Spotify, though. I've tried every possible <laughs> angle for Spotify, and I still cannot find a way to rate us. So I got I to gotta check Ed. Like, how did you rate us? Was it a dream? Was there like a snake wearing a giant vest rolling a donut when you were rating us on Spotify? I, I need answers to this question. Um, so, however, on Apple Podcasts, you can absolutely uh, review us, rate us. Please throw us five stars throw some words there we really appreciate it and on that note something else we really appreciate like we had a couple people do this and scott and i i know i geek out and i imagine scott geeks out too we had a couple people share that we made their top five spotify podcasts of the year and dude that is so cool man you know like i i am thrilled and honored 
to have made your top five. And uh, Scott can speak for himself, but I just think that shit is so cool, man. So so thank you for listening and thank you for sharing. It, It really did make my day. Yeah, we definitely appreciate it. I definitely geek out one. Stuff like that comes through. So um, I've had people contact me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, you know, all, all those all those places online, and let me know that they're re- they're listening to the podcast. A couple of people back the Kickstarter that listen to the pod. Very cool. And uh, Ed, go ahead and email us at Making Comics Podcast and let us know <laughs> how you rated us on Spotify. So we definitely need to know yeah. that. Making comics. Fucking explain yourself. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. (laughs) Explain Spotify to us because we don't understand. Uh, I listen to thousands of hours of music, including, you know, 20 hours of gore a year, yet I can't figure out this podcast thing. So, yeah. Making comics podcast at gmail.com. If you guys know when Signature started on comic books, when it became in vogue, um, if you know about the Spotify's, let us know there. Making comics podcast at gmail.com. There's really so much to explain to us. We're done. Uh, our, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we're we missing some cells. I mean, not only are we missing some brain cells, I just killed a really good quantity of them with this bourbon barrel-aged stout. So. And I so, refreshed yeah. myself with buco pandan. So... Yeah. <laughs> you had your you had your wheatgrass uh, cleansing shake and you got 7% out of it. So I'm really impressed. Yeah. It's a two for one. Rock on. Rock on. Well, you know the deal, man. Until next week, brother. I'll see you then. Yeah, yeah.